Hi, this is Let's Go Again, a philosophical and practical podcast for indie creatives navigating reality while building the dream. I'm your host, Courtney Romano, a writer, director in New York City, and the founder of Queensbird Films. In today's episode, we're going to talk about pressure. Pressure happens at every level of our careers and lives. As my brilliant friend Michelle says, when you level up, you don't get rid of your problems. You get bigger problems on the bigger level you've just moved to. So while I think it's true that there is pressure at every level of our creative process and career growth, today I want to talk about pressure that we feel when we're feeling lost, bewildered, out to sea, and just generally confused with what we should be doing next. Maybe you're an actor. And a lot of your work depends on other people to give you a job. So you're just working hard, but you can't really always link your hard work to direct results. Or maybe you're a working parent and you feel the pull of your creative self directly working against the needs of your family. And you want to give in both directions, but they seem to be diametrically opposed. Or maybe you're a writer or a musician or entrepreneur and you're used to working solo, but solo work has been leaving you feeling isolated and burned out and exhausted. And then there's this whole capitalism thing for all of us. It all leads to mounting pressure. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, updates from this week and an offering for you. In this week's What I Worked On, I want to share with you the kind of beginning stages that I took to write a new feature script. So last week, I got a flash of an idea for this new feature. And I have one feature that I've already written. It's on draft three or so. And I'm I'm pretty in the weeds on that one right now. I know it needs a couple of months to gestate. This is how my process goes. It's like a flurry of action and then an expanse of... um, in action. And then when I go back to it, I always have an insight that I couldn't kind of muscle myself to get. So anyway, with that first feature script, I'm letting it be. And I did not have a plan to, you know, look for another idea. I don't particularly want to write another feature right now. I like to like do one thing at a time if I can, but that's just not how my brain works. I fire when I fire and this idea came to me. And I kind of want to tell you how it came to me because I think there might be something useful in that process. So I was inspired by something that happened in the news a couple months ago. I was super compelled by this news event, started thinking about what would this look like in a short film, something I could film really easily and quickly. And no concept really took hold. And I just kind of let the idea go. And I figured it was one of my ideas that I was just going to let go. But then last week, I was getting super inspired by Noam Kroll's advice Uh, Noam is a filmmaker, and he's someone I interviewed on our other Queensbird podcast, The Break Breakdown, uh, in season three. Season three was all about Kinsley versus the digital series I wrote and directed and how we made that. And then I interviewed Noam as one of our bonus episodes, and he was talking about making a no-crew feature film. And Noam is huge in the world of micro-budget filmmaking and DIY filmmaking, and he has a lot of great advice for just doing it scrappy and doing it on your own terms. As I was exploring this idea that he brought up, which is the no-crew feature film, and I was feeling really compelled by it because this current 
feature script that I have needs like, it needs like proper funding. The the first one I wrote, it needs proper funding. It's going to take years to make. And I am willing to do that. That's all well and good. But then there's this other side of me that's like, go, go, go. I want to do something now. So in the meantime, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to shoot a feature that you can almost do on your own without too much financial pressure or time pressure or, you know, people pressure. And I started daydreaming about not having pressure when making a movie, which like, okay, jokes on me. There will always be pressure when making a movie, but I'm telling you this all because thinking about creating different parameters is how I then ended up writing 40 pages in two days. So before I started writing the script, I thought, let me give myself a few parameters. One, I will have to film this script either by myself or one person in the camera department, like the DP. I have to have a very simple sound setup. I have to have very simple lighting. I have to have access to locations. And I have to be able to shoot in a sporadic, non-batched amount of time, kind of spread out over a few months to a year. So those are my five parameters before I even sat down to write. And then I coupled those parameters with three to four references that were inspiring me, including this news story. And that is how I wrote 40 pages in two days. As of this recording, I still need to finish it. But I share this to say that sometimes it's great to let our imaginations run wild and, you know, pie in the sky, whatever we can create. We have CGI and we have, you know, fiery explosions and like car chases and all of that, that I'm super into that. But also sometimes the reality of the given situation that we're in, the especially for indie creatives as we are all here, it can actually relieve the pressure and help us sit down to make the thing or start the first couple steps that we need to make the thing. For me, reality is more enticing than fantasy. And I know I'll get to the fantasy by stepping through reality one step at a time. So anyway, that is what I worked on this week. Okay, time to pull a card for you, the listener. As a reminder, in this segment, I am pulling a card. And sometimes it'll be a tarot card. Sometimes it'll be a different deck. But I think that pulling a card is a really great way to tap into our own intuition. There's something artistic about it. You know, there's something lovely about reminding ourselves as we're like in the business of marketing and growing our audience and making work and trying to chart our careers that we wanted to do this stuff because there's something super compelling and beautiful about art. Today, I'm using the Wild Unknown Animal Spirit deck by Kim Krams. Um, There's something beautiful about these decks because they are, I don't know, bringing out a different side of our brains and our intuition and our insights. So in this segment, each episode, I want to pull a card for you, the listener, uh, hoping that it sparks something in your conscious mind that might be there from your unconscious mind or unconscious intuition. And I hope that it can be used as a tool to either point you in a certain direction or give you confirmation of something or answer a question or, you know, just be kind of fun. So wherever you are today, dear listener, as I pull this card for you, I hope that this resonates. Card is the wolf. Okay, here is what the guidebook says. Wolf, guardian of family and tribe, activism, ritual. 
The wolf's mission is to uphold the well-being and longevity of the pack. Healthy wolf energy expresses itself through activism, mentorship, humanitarian efforts, or teaching, religious or political studies. The wolf gets into trouble when it assumes every member of the tribe must follow suit. This includes children walking in their parents' footsteps. Although it will surely be uncomfortable at first, practicing tolerance helps balance out agitated wolf energy. Contemplate the following. Embrace all, exclude none. When in balance, it's reliable, democratic, and fearless. I like the idea of the wolf being fearless. I also like the idea of the wolf being the upholder of longevity and kind of long-term balance when we think about pressure and how pressure has the ability to knock us off balance and you know, make us feel drained and make us feel unstable. And the wolf energy is like stabilizing, balancing, grounding, driving forward, and again, fearless. So let's let that set the tone for today's episode all about pressure. For our purposes, let's separate pressure out into three categories, the external, the internal, and the projected. External pressure is basically capitalism. If you're listening to this in America, it's fully capitalism. (laughs) The pressure to coordinate your salary or profits or revenue with the rising cost of food and housing is an enormous pressure on 99% of people. There are certain things that need to happen day to day and week to week to literally survive. So external pressures may be at varying scales and due to varying forces, but we are most of us experiencing external pressure in currently an exquisite way. Next, we have internal pressure. The internal pressure we put on ourselves to make art or gain followers or be a success. Our internal pressures could be from growing up and the conditioned productivity we've kind of internalized. Or these internal pressures could be because we are truly called and striving towards some kind of greatness. We want to be special or profound or just grow beyond the capacities that we have now. And that internal pressure is very, you know, Alexander Hamilton. Why do we write like we're running out of time, right? Day and night like we're running out of time. We're trying to get everything we feel and see and experience into a form of art or business or just living that makes us rise to the level of the potential we feel inside of us. Then lastly, there's projected pressure, the pressure we think other people are putting on us. When I wanted to quit acting and focus more on writing, this was about 10 years ago or so, I called my parents to apologize. I you know, said, sorry for that waste of money that you spent on theater school and dance school, and I'm not going to pursue Broadway anymore. I'm so sorry. And my mom had literally put neither of my parents, my mom or my dad had not put any pressure on me, but I projected some combined aspects of externalized and internalized pressure and then projected that pressure onto my parents as if it was coming from them when it wasn't. All of this pressure, of course, isn't inherently a bad thing. The pressure of a deadline can actually be super helpful to getting writing done. The pressure of a paying client when you're a freelancer can be helpful in even just forcing you to up-level your skills. Pressure in and of itself is neutral 
but it's our secondary experience, the layer of meaning we make from the pressure that actually creates our discomfort. We feel like failures or frauds or imposters or, or like we haven't met our potential and we never will, mostly because of this secondary experience of feeling like the pressure is a terrible thing. So today, I want to bring in the philosophy from the poet Rilke, as well as thoughts from Penny Pierce, an author and intuitive guide. Rilke was an Austrian poet living in the 1800s at the turn of the 20th century. And like a lot of brilliant artists, the ideas he wrote about were both timeless and simple and captivating in their timelessness and simplicity. I always find a certain order or natural law in his prose and his poetry. A great book to check out is Letters to a Young Poet. If you want to really get to know him and his philosophies more, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. I am not sponsored by Rilke, by the way, but if I could be, I would be. So anyway, Rilke had this philosophy that I'm going to casually call live the question, live the question philosophy, which basically means when you are feeling the pressure to answer the question, what am I going to do with my life? What's my next move? Why can't I make any art? All of that. Instead of racing to answer it, just stay with it. Here's the quote where he elucidates this concept. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers, which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. In a similar way to a couple episodes ago when we were talking about Carl Jung and the transcendent function, that's the thing that appears to kind of unlock our brains when we're kind of stuck trying to figure out what to do. This live the question philosophy asks us to be okay not knowing. I think a lot of times we have a question in our mind and it feels almost like an icky thing we want to get off of us. Like the unanswered things tend to be the hardest things to be next to alongside of. We want definition and stability and security. But when we're feeling the pressure of the external and internal and projected worlds, if we race to answer everything, we're going to make some really weird and sometimes unhelpful moves. For instance, many years ago, I worked for this company that was closing down. Like we could all see the writing on the wall. The team would text about it. We'd be like, who's next? <laughs> Almost like a game. We were all about to lose our jobs. And I started to freak out. I applied to literally every job that I could find on the internet and ev like everything. And I did it in a flurry and I did it fast and I did it without any kind of discernment. I just caved into the pressure that I felt knowing that I was about to lose my job. In fact, I, I didn't cave to the pressure. I was the pressure. I became the personified embodiment of pressure. <laughs> Picture me with like my shoulders up to my ears, huddled over my computer, sobbing while hunting on LinkedIn for jobs. <laughs> not pretty, decidedly not living the question. And eventually I did get let go as the company folded. And eventually I started teaching fitness again. I had left fitness for this particular job, then went back to fitness when I got let go. So it felt like 
a failure in some ways to me because I felt like I graduated from that moment. And then like, why am I all of a sudden back here? And yet I'm older and like, it's harder for me to do squats. So months later, I had been teaching some fitness. I had been applying for jobs and in interviews and like nothing was really happening. I wasn't into it or they weren't into it or we were, neither of us were into it. And months later, a colleague from that job where we all got fired reached out with a potential freelance client looking to fill a position that was really close to what I had been doing before at this other job. So I applied, I got the gig, I picked up more freelance work, and then eventually I was hired as an employee. And that job turned out to be one of those huge life-stabilizing moments for me. It made it possible for my husband and I to start a family. It helped give us a sense of direction. I had a little tiny bit of savings for the first time, and it transitioned me away from gig work and into employment, which, again, was also a great stabilizer for me. There's a way to think about this kind of trajectory that I think can be kind of vapid and invalidating, which is to say, everything happens for a reason. Like if I'm going through something tough, like losing my job, please, for the love of God, do not tell me that everything happens for a reason. And I promise I will not say that to you. There are some moments when this kind of Pinterest Mimi advice is just not helpful. However, I do think there's a shade of that sentiment that deserves to be considered. And what I mean is sometimes I do think events and circumstances, though seemingly unfair and chaotic and obviously painful, are opening us up to something wider and deeper and more aligned. Not in an everything happens for a reason sort of way, but in a law of nature sort of way. Life is chaotic and also it's organized. It is both. Craig, my husband, used to love this quote, life is contingent and there is also chaos. Like it's always both all the time. Another way to think about this is through Penny Pierce, an intuitive author, who says that sometimes questions come to us because we already have the answers. She's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she's saying our unconscious has an answer and our conscious mind needs to ask the question in order to uncover it. Another way to say that is we only ask ourselves questions that somewhere deep in our guts we have the answers for, which, dang, like when I read that and thought about that and considered that in all the ways that I've asked myself questions in my life and then how things have turned out, my mind was blown. So when we think of all of this, how it relates to pressure, we can use pressure as um, kind of like alchemy. Pressure becomes directional. We can see the pressure that is building up and we can say, oh, okay, it's time to do something with this. I, I see that there's a door opening somewhere because this pressure is building inside of me. So I'm going to see what door I can open and see where to go next. We can chart a path because of and not in spite of pressure. So let's make this practical. This is a little exercise that I would suggest listening to once and then going back and listening a second time with a journal or your notes app and spend some time writing the answers to. So number one, pick an area of your life where you're feeling pressure to come up with an answer or figure something out. For our purposes, let's talk about creating something. Let's choose a project you have an idea about, but you don't really know where to begin. Or um, we can do something even broader, like knowing you want to do something with comedy or music or film, but you don't know what. So pick that area of your life. The second thing, list out every practical question you have about this topic. 
So your questions could be in the range of, uh, how would I even make money doing this? How would I, how would this change my day job? Would I have to quit my day job? How would I survive if I pursued this and only this? Is there a way to make money pursuing this or do I need another revenue stream? Who are other people in my field who have done a project or thing like this? How did it go for them? All the practical questions that you have about this project. The next thing, list out every philosophical question you have about this topic or this project. Questions like, should I make money on this or would that distort my vision? What inspires me about this idea or project? Is there an underlying feeling I'm trying to create in myself by pursuing this particular thing? Why do I feel so much pressure? Why do I feel so much pressure to do this project? Is the pressure a creative pressure, like it's pushing me forward, or a destructive pressure, like it's tearing me down? What do I want? After you have this huge list of questions, answer them. Take your time to literally just stream of consciousness, write your answers. If you don't know what to write, just write, I don't know what to write. If there are some questions that make you feel incredibly stumped, highlight them or underline them or somehow mark them for later. Once you've answered everything, set a timer for one week from now. Leave everything alone for a week. Let it go. Don't, don't actively pursue the answers. Don't you know, open up that notes app again and, and try to get some answers. Like literally just leave it alone. Then the final step in a week, when the timer goes off, go back to the questions that you highlighted and answer them. Will you come up with extraordinary insights? Uh, I have, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I do think every time that I've articulated my pressures, really spoken them aloud or written them down, I've leaned into the questions and given myself some space to allow the answers to show up. I've at the very, very, very least been able to ever so slightly relieve the pressure and allow it to work on me, allow it to change me. So let's see what happens. That is it for today. As always, if you felt like you got something out of this episode, we'd be so grateful. I'd be so grateful and honored for a review and a rating on Spotify or Apple podcasts, wherever you listen to this. And if you want to go the extra mile, screenshotting this and sharing and tagging us on social would be huge. You can find all of our social handles and everything in the show notes. Even just texting a friend something that was relevant, maybe, or helpful in some way is a huge, huge way in getting this podcast a little bit more well-known and well-circulated. The idea for me is just trying to reach as many indie creatives and, and optimistic and yet perhaps stuck people as possible. Because truthfully, that's how I feel a lot of times, optimistic and stuck. And I just want to feel connected to people. So if you can connect this podcast to them and them to me, I would love that. Thank you. And one last thing, if you have a creative project that's ready to go, but now you're ready to start pitching, whether that's to private investors or family and friend donors or even crowdfunding, our pitch deck starter guide is linked in the show notes. And it's a really helpful 12-page ebook with example pages of how we made our pitch deck to fund our digital series, Kinsley Versus. 
We raised $70,000 in six months for that project. And this starter guide is all about the pitch deck that we used for that. And the best part is the guide is totally free. So grab that in the show notes, go forth and get resourced. Thank you so much as always for being here. And I will see you next week.